Hey, More Than This listeners, it's Dave here. I wanted to shamelessly plug a charity event that I am raising funds for. This October, I am riding in a 200-mile charity bike ride called Tour de Pink that raises funds for young survivors of breast cancer. If you are so moved to contribute to this cause, please go to west.ysctourdepink.org forward slash David Hartman. So again, that is West, W-E-S-T dot Y-S-C for Young Survival Coalition, Tor de Pink, T-O-U-R-D-E-P-I-N-K dot org forward slash David Hartman. Also, I wanted to announce that we are introducing some perks for our Patreon subscribers who join at the $10 a month level or more. We're calling it even more than this. You'll have access to bonus episodes, get to weigh in on future episode topics, and you'll even get a free More Than This t-shirt. Check it out at patreon.com forward slash more than this pod. You're listening to More Than This, the podcast where Christian faith and reason explore reasons for Christian faith. Life's not a sequence program from the sky, but it's a story. This week, one of our favorite guests, Courtney Ellis, returns to talk about why parents with young kids are so lonely often. This episode is called, They're Young and We're Restless, and we talk about what we can do to help our friends and neighbors to feel connected during their child-raising years. Enjoy. Welcome to More Than This. Um, I'm here with Dave, and we have a special guest today, Courtney Ellis. Thanks again for being with us. Courtney, this is your second time with us, and we're so glad you're back. You guys are so fun. I want to be on every single episode from now on. Deal? Deal. Deal. The technology (laughs) is working thus far, so I think we can do it. Courtney's in California. Dave's in Ohio. I'm here in Chicago. And today we're going to talk about, this is Dave's clever title, Lonely Parents. Is that a playoff of Lonely Planet, Dave? Oh, I don't know if that's the final title. That's a a working title, Kate. Working title. Yeah. But you can you can get the gist from it, uh, what we're going to be talking about, right? Yes, we're going to talk about, it was actually, this was Dave. Um, Dave's topic, Dave came up with this, this topic when we invited Courtney to come back. Um, we'll get into the actual, what we mean by lonely parents and what we want to talk about. But I wanted to start off by just talking to Courtney a little bit about her new book that has already been released. I'll see if I get the whole title and subtitle correct. Almost Holy Mama, Life-Giving Spiritual Practices for Weary Parents. Is that right, Courtney? Nailed it. Good. Um, So, yeah, Courtney, can you just tell us a little bit about this book and what inspired you to write it and and what people should expect when they read it? Yeah, the book came out of a season of, uh, in many ways, a season of lonely parenting for me, Uh, a season where I was just really desperate to connect with Jesus. And so I would go and read these books on spiritual practices, and most of them were written by men or monks or nuns, and they would say things like, take an hour in quiet prayer. And I was like, you don't, you don't know my life. Like if I do that, the kids will burn the house to the ground or I'll fall asleep because I'm so tired. And so it was just born out of this desire, uh, this really deep belief that God really does want to connect with us right where we are. So I could either wait until my kids grew up and moved out of the house to connect with Jesus, or I could find a way to connect mm. with him in the midst of busy parenting. So that's where the, the book came from was realizing that um, spiritual practices are really intensely practical and we can just marry them to the ordinary things we do in our life. So I did things like practicing contemplation while I was in the car, listening prayer while I was folding laundry, um, gratitude while I was getting ready for the day, just trying to tie them to things I had to do anyway. So it wasn't an addition to my life. It was uh, a boost in my already very busy, very sleep deprived days. And it's hilarious because I fail a lot. So it's a funny book. Well, I, I ha- will confess I have not had a chance to read it yet, but just from that description, um, I would really like to read it because as a mom of a full-time working mom of two younger kids, that basically describes my life. And I think I often end up just feeling guilty. Um, yes. I got, I got to be totally honest, Dave, and I have talked about this before in some of the podcasts. I think even before I was a parent, I probably struggled um, with 
uh, frankly, understanding prayer or how to work something like contemplative prayer into my life without just falling asleep at night, which is really often what I do is I think before as I'm falling asleep, oh, I should pray or I should reflect or I should do these things. Probably not my most golden. It's probably not the optimal time to be doing something (laughs) like that. Um, So I I sounds to me like this would have applications for people who are just um, you know, busy and trying to find ways to work this into their life, but in particular for parents. So I am excited to read it and glad that you wrote it. Thanks. Yeah, it's been fun. One of my one of my friends, he's a veterinarian. He's in his 50s. And he said, I really wish you didn't have mama in the title because I read it and I loved it, but I felt weird. Right. He's like, I'm not a mom, but I'm very busy and it was helpful for me. So well, I say I'm not a parent at all at present. And it sounds interesting to me as well. Yeah. If you're busy, it's good. Like, could be almost holy modern person. Exactly. Almost holy Dave. Almost holy Dave. Holy Dave. Uh, (laughs) Good exclamation. Well, thanks. Um, Like I said, folks, you can get it, I think, everywhere. Amazon, uh, christianbook.com. Did I just make up the title, the website, christianbook.com, or does that exist? No, it's out there, christianbook.com. It's at Barnes & Noble on the actual shelves, which is kind of fun. See your book in the wild. It exists. And Amazon, right? Yes, for sure. Okay, great. Well, I would highly recommend, I'm, I'm recommending it, even not having read it and saying people should go out and give it a listen. And I think, uh, to be honest, the topic of your book fits really well with what we were going to talk about today. Um, I think the problem or or issue that Dave and I both have noticed in modern families or or probably just within our churches um this topic of loneliness and parenting um and what it feels like to be a parent um in the church and caring for young children and just what that entails and anyways i I thought it might be helpful dave do you want to give if i recall you had a a kind of a specific interaction with someone you don't have to name the person you could if you want to give them a shout out but um i think you had a specific interaction that made you think of this topic and i thought it might be helpful to start it off that way yeah, I think it's actually, I could put an amalgam of people together that I've had interactions with. So my wife and I are yet to have children of our own. And we realized, you know, about, gosh, I'm old now. Kate is like Kate likes to point out, uh, most of my peers have kids. Uh, some, some of my peers have kids that are older, but most of them have younger kids. And we realized we would say, hey, you want to get together? Like we'd see them at church or out in the community somewhere. And my wife and I actually call this our mission field. Uh, Quotes, uh, air quotes around that or being a little sarcastic, tongue in cheek. But what we figured out works for most people is that if we go to their house, bring them takeout food and play with their kids during dinner, feed their kids, and then there's no cleanup involved and they can put their kids to bed, we can get like an hour of adult conversation. And this is like the hottest idea we've come up with, like in our, our group of friends, like this, people love this. But when we would do that, um, you know, it was just like people would go, oh my gosh, we had a, we had a set of friends uh, that unfortunately just moved away. We were just getting reconnected with them. And they uh, were over at our neighbor's house one night and they had their, their two young children with them. And Karen and I, you know, were three doors down from the, our friends, went down and the friends that were, were visiting our neighbors, just they stayed till like midnight. Cause, and they kept sort of like acting incredulous. Like, who gets to do this? Like, who gets to just like hang out with people and talk and like have fun? And we're like, this is heartbreaking. <laughs> we're like, this is like very lonely, but and we knew they weren't alone because most of our friends sort of share the same reaction that, you know, we, 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 pay, we make house calls. That's what we say. So we will go, but we just realized that, you know, traditional small groups, you know, churches are all about having like a small group. Uh, that's really hard when you have young kids, you know, we tried to coordinate one. It's like, what do you do about who's watching the kids during that time? Somebody has to sit out the whole time and somebody might be multiple people sitting out or, you know, can you really have a conversation and, you know, do you pay it for childcare? Cause that gets expensive and, you know, nap times and feeding and all kinds of things really come into, into play. And, you know, churches that just sort of say, well, just go to a small group. That's your, your ticket to community. That even gets to be a really hard model with kids. So that's kind of where this came from. Like, we're just like, man, 
these people can't be the only people feeling this lonely in their parenting experience, even as they're part of a greater community of faith. So that's kind of where it came from. Well, that is, I, there's so much there. I just want to start by asking Courtney or having Courtney refresh us really quickly with just telling us um, about her family and how many kids she has. So we have that as our framing for your answers, maybe Courtney, or responses. Yeah, my husband and I have two boys and a girl. Our oldest is six and a half, our middle is three and a half, and our youngest just turned eight months. So we are in the thick of it, officially. <laughs> so do you have any reactions? I mean, I have some thoughts, but I want to get yours first to what Dave said. Um, have you experienced this in your church family or personally as a, um, as a parent or as a pastor? Is what Dave said kind of ringing true to you? Oh, it rings. It rings so true. I think one of the challenges in the church is to connect different groups that are lonely in different ways. Um, I wrote a piece for Christianity Today a little while back about single women and married moms and how they both kind of have these wells of loneliness that are really different, but have these gifts to offer, right? The moms are so busy and so tired and just want someone to hold that baby. And a lot of these single women are like, I would love to hold a baby and have a conversation and, and to connect those, those groups. So, I mean, you say tongue in cheek that you have a a takeout ministry, but like, that's a real ministry. If, if we had friends who didn't have kids and offered to do that for us. So we get that social time and we don't have to cook and we don't have to clean up. I mean, my gosh, like that's Christmas morning right there. That's, that's tremendous. And I think we see this a lot in the churches. We have a certain model, right? The small group is is Wednesday nights, please come. And parents are like, my kid goes to bed at 6.30 or he turns into a Tyrannosaurus. Um, and so a lot of the spiritual practices and models of the church work really well in certain seasons. Um, I help with our church's college and young adults group right now, and they meet from 7 to 9 p.m., and that tends to be 7 to 9.30, 7 to 10. And by the end of that, like, I'm dying. And I love them, you know. And so that's their time where they're wide awake and they're, you know, bright-eyed and ready to learn about Jesus. But for me, knowing that my wake-up call the next day is 5 a.m., that's that's a sacrifice. One I'm willing to make, absolutely. But we need different models for different ages and stages. It's not one-size-fits-all. Can just to throw in, and I, most people probably know this if you've listened, I have a, a nine-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. So I'm not as busy as Courtney, um, but my three-and-a-half-year-old is still... The, the nine-year-old is quite portable now. Yes, um, and, <laughs> I love that descriptor, yeah. And, and pretty easy and actually likes to hang out with adults. Um, I will point out that Dave's wife is one of his favorites, so Dave too, but um, he really loves hanging out with grown-ups and talking, but the three-and-a-half-year-old is, is definitely not there yet. Um, and I just want to say about for small groups, I think you hit on something, Courtney. That's like the number one thing that churches, for those of you who might not go to church or haven't like grown up in this model, that's a pretty common thing, um, a way that churches seek. I mean, have you ever heard the the phrase, we grow best in circles, not in rows. I don't hmm. know if your churches say something like that. All the churches I've been to actually have said something along that lines, like, hey, meet, you know, eat a meal together, get to know each other, um, all of that. And I tried um, to go to a small group and I just gave up. I was like, first of all, I live in Chicago, so traffic is a little tricky. So it took a while to, takes a little bit of time to get there. Secondly, I'm sure the people I'm in, oh, I, I'm not naming any names, but the house that I went to for the small group, those people who were hosting did not have children. And I was extremely uncomfortable in their home. I mean, I'm trying to do, we didn't have an official babysitter, I guess. The idea was let the kids watch a show. My three and a half year old is not going to just, she'll watch it for a little bit, but not the whole time. And they were just really nervous about their couches and where people sat and, and what people ate. And I'm sure you've been there, Courtney. You're trying to do your very best, but like, what's that Jerry Seinfeld phrase that toddlers are like a blender with the top off? I mean, there's so just a, true. There's just a certain amount of toddler behavior. Um, you can control a certain amount, but there's other things that you just can't. They're just acting. I think also older people or people who don't have kids might not 
have a complete under either they don't understand or they don't remember what toddlers act like or what right. young children they act like. They think your kid is badly behaved when your kid is just being three, right? Ex- this would ex- be terrible behavior for a nine-year-old, but ex- for a three-year-old, it's developmentally right on. Exactly. And I feel oftentimes, I guess I'm getting a little bit into one of my other questions. So, you know, at that particular small group, I was like, I'm just not going to go because I'm so uncomfortable because right. I'm so worried about my, how my kid is behaving. And I just, I don't think I can, I can do it. And so I think that's also, I'm kind of leaning into another to- another area of this topic, what I think some of the modern stumbling mo- blocks might be, you know, just the timing of small groups, but also just bringing your kids either in church, in the nursery. I, I, I have struggled in all of those realms um, with my young kids and how I'm choosing to parent them and what I perceive as judgment of others for how I'm parenting my kids. I hope that makes sense. I think there's sometimes a lot of ideas about how kids should be acting in different, not just in small groups, but in church, in the nursery, all these different things. And I'm a pretty sensitive person who's pretty attuned, maybe overly attuned to how other people are feeling. And maybe I'm assuming some judgment, but I think that also has made it tricky for me. Like I nursed my kids for a really long time. And that was awkward. Like I'd be in the nursery nursing my two-year-old and I felt super uncomfortable, but I was like, I'm not going to go in the bathroom and do this because that's a little weird. Um, And I don't mind if someone else is not doing it, but I felt that there was sort of this implied, uh, just leave your kid in here to cry. They need to learn how to do that. They're in the nursery um, and you should be in church. And I was like, no, this is a season in my life where I'm very happy to, I can miss church and be with my kid in the nursery and I'm not upset about it. I'd really like you to call me if my child gets upset. I don't want them to scream. You don't have to try to calm them down for half an hour. If they're upset, I'm going to come in. And I felt like there was sort of a, no, you should be in church. Anyways, this is getting a little bit off the topic of loneliness, Courtney, but I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, like different philosophies towards parenting maybe playing into how people feel that they can be in settings um, with their kids. Yeah, I think it's a really tender time for people, especially Mm -hmm. young parenting, when you are more tired than you probably have ever been. I mean, I I ran a marathon in college, and that pales in comparison to how tired I am right now. Uh, And so you just are in a tender place. And so I think often there is that sideways glance, and it hits you in a way that it wouldn't Mm -hmm. hit you if you were well-rested and if you were Mm -hmm. feeling really on your A-game. And all of the physical changes that, that go with giving birth birth and um, you know just you've you've been through a lot and I remember Eugene Peterson describing how he felt after preaching Um, he felt like he had no skin on you're just really Mm -hmm. sensitive and if someone's going to criticize it's going to hit really deep and you can receive that criticism on Monday or Tuesday but right after the sermon you just kind of need a minute to be with Jesus and um, I think that's how a lot of young moms young dads feel and so it has been so hard to even get to church on a Sunday morning to get everyone dressed to get shoes on you're headed out the door someone blows out a diaper you're sweaty right by the time you get there you just need the softest possible entry and you show up at the nursery and you know our nursery workers at our church are amazing they're wonderful uh, but they're just they're people too and so some days you know they're having a rough morning or something hasn't been bad and you know you see that first time mom drop off that baby for the first time and if it's not seamless she might never come back it's it's just really it's fraught in a lot of in a lot of ways and so I think that can contribute to the loneliness factor. You try it once, it didn't work. Are you ever going to give it another try? Are you ever going to go back um, as a mom or as a dad? So there are a lot of factors stacked against, um, well, just stacked in favor of loneliness, I think, in the young parenting seasons because everything is harder. The normal patterns before where you would hang out till midnight, you'd talk about your faith. I remember, Kate, you and I both went to Wheaton College, and the favorite activity at Wheaton College on a Sunday was go to lunch, talk about the sermon, right? Pick it apart. Pick apart the worship service. Why did they sing this hymn, right? We were all super experts on everything at age 20. Um, But that was part of the model. And right now, the pattern after church is we get home as fast as we can 
can and shovel food in our kids because they are losing their minds and two of the three need to nap or everyone will die. So we don't have that same, you know, every once in a while an older couple at the church will say, hey, can we take you to lunch? And it's the sweetest offer, but they do not know what they are asking of us. I mean, it's just not, not possible. They think we'll have a lovely conversation and we won't. We will have a cage match and a food fight. And it's, you know, you just... You need to find ways to shift into new models. And it really struck me a couple weeks ago that every parent, every parent is brand new at this. You know, you think about your job and and you're not expected to be an expert in your job in six months, but six months of parenting, you're supposed to kind of have this down, right? You're the expert on your baby. You're not, you don't know what you're doing. So we just need a lot of grace and we need a lot of trial and error and we need to get up and, and when we have the energy to to go another round uh, and, and to, to step foot back in the waters. Uh, you know, oh, go ahead, Dave. I think there's, there's just, there's a tension here in general because there's all the things you guys are pointing to where, uh, I mean, to put it probably not very nicely, kids, kids are not super convenient, right? They're not like convenience based uh, things where, they have a of, footprint and they, they need to be allowed to have a footprint. And yeah. that's a, often where the problem is. And when yes. people are like, just bring them, they'll be quiet. And I'm like, have you met a child? Have Ever? you met no. a child? They speak. <laughs> they eat things. But, they have bodily functions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they need to go potty all the time. But the succession of things too, just in general, and this applies to parents and non-parents alike or empty nesters or young people, we tend to also we make a lot of short-term accommodations, right? Just, and like they, they become habitual, right? And over time, one of the things that I think is easiest to do with parents is just kind of, because you're tired, avoid, I guess this is like the, the gentlest of pushbacks because everything you said is true, but you can make enough small accommodations and decisions where you find yourself devoid of friendship, right? Like you find yourself yes. like not connecting with people and you're like, how the heck did we get here? You know I mean, yeah. like one moment it was like, oh, my small group doesn't work for me or this, like it's really hard and nap times and it's this year, it's just, you know, my kid's going through a phase and then we have another kid and then, you know, all these things kind of add up mm-hmm. and like a lot of us, I mean, like, you know, like I said, we don't have kids and, and I can see how a lot of the small decisions we've made have formed into larger arcs of habit that sort of take us away from people not on purpose, right? None of this is on purpose. Nobody sits there and says, I have kids now, I'm good, right? Like nobody just said, yep, my child will fulfill me like to the nth degree, you know, it's just me, Jesus, hopefully my partner or spouse so I don't go completely insane and our kids, that's all I need. Nobody ever says that. But a lot yeah. of the decisions people make as parents in the short term have long-term consequences that sort of go against that, right? Go against, uh, it's it's because it's hard you know so i don't i don't exactly know where to go with that but i you can see it if you look back over your life how that kind of shrinks and you get to a place that's completely unintended you know uh and i think it's probably hard to be a parent it's hard to be a single person and find yourself kind of acting in ways that are kind of uh inconsistent with your values right because you 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 do love community you do want to be more involved you do have dear deep friendships but you find yourself having to make decisions and that can either put, you know, more pressure on your kids, you know, to kind of fulfill you and make you happy, or you just kind of lose a little bit of yourself. I've in counseling parents have come across that so much too, that there's so much more to you than who you are as a parent. Uh, And some of those fires just kind of go untended and unstoked, you know, for quite a few years and you can it's quite an identity crisis you know obviously empty nesting is kind of the ultimate extension of that like who am i uh who are we you know if you're coupled without kids around i don't know yeah. i just i just think it's interesting if you could really sort of break down that decision tree that leads you to a place where you're like oh my gosh where's our community you know and it's often a thousand tiny decisions. Like you said, it's really incremental. And mm-hmm. I think part of that key for parents is there will be a season where it's almost impossible to leave the house. Like those six weeks after you have a baby, it's you've been through a war, right? There's absolutely it's just but to then incrementally make 
positive decisions on the other side of that when you can whether it's just you know it's been six months and I'm going out for a girls night to see this movie the last minute right uh, I if I get a church meeting at work that cancels a night meeting that my husband and I have this understanding that if it was on the calendar we'd already planned for it then I get to do something else and I will reach out to girlfriends and say hey let's go to this restaurant let's go to this movie I just need an outing because I'm already geared up to do it I already have the plan in place um, but I think that is part of the question is how do we incrementally then work back remember who we were remember what we used to do what we used to like what used to light a fire and maybe the schedule doesn't work in the same way but how can we build something new um, for the last several years Daryl and I have been in a small group that was couples with kids and we had a babysitter that would watch all we started with eight kids she would watch all eight kids she's amazing she's like Mary Poppins she's going to college next year and we're all really sad <laughs> like don't go but we would pay her we would put a show on and the kids that would watch it would watch it the kids that wouldn't she would watch them and we'd have an hour to, to study scripture to pray for each other and then we would all have dinner together um, and it worked and then we started having more babies and now it's not eight kids it's 11 kids and they're new babies and they're sick and they're this and so it worked for a season and then it stopped working and now we need to figure out what works next but that's the goal is what works next, not this doesn't work anymore, so I'm done. Um, how can that spiritual care happen? And often we have to kind of build it ourselves and it may come through our church, but it may come through, hey, we connect really well. You know, Kate, you might say we connect really well with Dave and Kara and it's great that they don't have kids because we need friends who don't mm -hmm. have kids. Let's pull in one more couple. Let's get one babysitter. Let's make this happen um, to kind of take ownership for our own spiritual well-being because not every church has every program not every church can have every program yeah you know that's a great point um of thinking of how you build it yourself i also would just point out i'm at the point now where i can leave uh, my husband is more of an introvert than I am naturally. So it works out for this season in our life that he's very happy if I leave the three and a half year old with him and my son and I go because the nine year old, like I said, is pretty portable now and can entertain himself or be part of the discussion too. So I think that's like a new stage. And I think um, it's helpful to not think to have a little bit of flexibility in your model, which is maybe everybody doesn't go. Maybe some people go sometimes. And to be frank, uh, some people, by some people, I mean me, have more extrovert needs and, and, and need that more than the yeah. other, than their spouse. And that's okay. I mean, if both need it, then you have to work through it. But I think that's one thing that's been helpful for me in my marriage and our parenting to say, okay, we can design this. We don't have to go. Everyone in the family doesn't have to go um, to this event or it's a Sunday and someone's having a rough day. Everybody doesn't have to go to church. Sorry, Courtney. I know you and your husband might not have that luxury because, what? um, because you're both pastors. But but anyways, I think that's a just building in some flexibility. And again, not not just looking to what exists at your church or within your church community to fix it. And I think maybe being part of the change or advocating for some different changes at your church community. Yes. Like Dave, I'm I'm looking forward to you and Kara introducing takeout ministries and starting a, a getting a group of other um people who don't have kids yet to start doing takeout ministry for Seriously, families could sign it's amazing. up for takeout ministry. It's good. But it's again, good, right? It's good. Good yeah. idea. Everybody a, eats and then you throw the stuff in the trash. It's amazing. Yeah. And the kids are in their own home environment, right? So right. they go so to their put own to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing I, I'm just thinking about maybe simple changes. This is just one example that came up. Um, you made me think about it, Courtney, when you were saying it's hard to get everyone to church. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this or if this has been your experience, but often children's ministries at churches, at least in my experience, the churches I've been a part of, are run by women who don't have kids yet. Hmm. I don't know if that's how it is. At least the churches I'm in, they're kind of younger churches. So a lot of times that position um, goes to a woman, but who doesn't have kids yet. And I noticed... Um, a couple weeks ago, I came to church. I was a little late, and there was a sign up that said, It's 20 minutes past 10. All children need to go into the service with you because um, kids' nursery and Sunday school check in is closed. And I thought, You know what? I understand maybe 
the thinking behind that, but if they knew what people were going through to get to church with their young children, and sometimes I was late that day because I'm potty training and I had to turn around. Um, And if you came late, you really want to be there, right? That person who came late has been through the fire on the way in. Exactly, exactly. And I thought, you know, for me personally, if I knew that I had a 20, that the top clock was ticking, I would just be like, I give up. It's five yeah. after 10. There's no way I'm going to make it to church. I'm just not going to go. Right. And now for me, I just, I, I actually just checked in because I knew how to do it and sent my kids to Sunday school. <laughs> um, but, and there was another mom there who was like, oh, I, she might've even said, oh, hell no. She was like, <laughs> when did this happen? Like we're, we're setting this up, but, or we're fixing this. But in any case, I, I talked to the woman who's in charge of ministry and I think she just hadn't thought about it that way. She was right. trying to get people to show up on time. And I was like, I totally respect that. But you don't have a sign that says to other people that come into church late, you must go and sit in this, or you cannot enter the sanctuary, or you must sit in this corner of the sanctuary, right? This was kind of directed <laughs> right, towards with people to with kids who probably wall. have yeah. more obstacles. Yeah. yeah. So and Kate, anyways, that's such I, a service um, to her that you mentioned it. Because a lot of parents, I think, would be so hurt by that they'd never come back. The church would never know. And that's and that's what we encounter sometimes at our church is we're like we had no idea like please tell us we will change everything like we had no idea um, because there's so many plates in the air sometimes we miss things like that so if something rubs you the wrong way as a mom as a parent like please tell the pastor tell the children's director they're usually not setting out to make you crazy uh, but that it, was that was a miss right so I'm glad you exactly. brought it up well and my thought too was. I'll come back because I'm part of this church. I'm not going to let that dissuade me. But what if I was like, a, you know, a young parent, a mom or a dad who was coming to this church, was really making an effort to get there. I would feel kind of chastised and pretty discouraged. Yeah. Um, and I might not come back. So, again, I think there's two things maybe we can do is uh, be like Dave. So, people, if you're Dave's probably tired of us saying be like Dave. We're going to make but, shirts. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I never but, tire of hearing you say that, Kate, because it's only <laughs> happened twice now, and both were in this episode. Well, was it Kara's idea, Dave, or was it your idea, the takeout ministry? I am insulted beyond belief that you would even ask that. <laughs> um, in, in any case, so I think it's create your own things to help um, par- um, young parents, and also maybe talk to your church, like you're saying, Courtney. Um, have you seen things done? Are there any things that either one of you have seen done really well aside stuff from stuff you've already mentioned where churches are kind of geared to really help parents deal with this first i just wanted to i wanted to stick up a little bit for your ministry director you you pigeonholed her a little bit uh saying that it was somebody because she didn't have kids i think there are plenty of people who have kids who would have instituted the same policy uh i I disagree i I think people who have young kids Courtney, would you have instituted that policy? Well, you're not asking. You have to ask everybody, Kate. I'm just saying it's kind of unfair to stereotype that way uh, because you, you've met a lot of anal retentive parents as well, haven't you? Uh, I think I don't hang out with anal. I don't know. <laughs> well, you, Maybe you, you I'm claim to, allergic. You claim to be judged by some, so I'm guessing there are some people who would. Okay, true. Uh, the, other, the other thing I'll say is, too, volunteers in churches are really hard to get. That policy didn't come out of nowhere. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't like something had to be happening with the volunteers. It wasn't just a curmudgeonly thing, probably, I'm guessing. But we we do not have that sort of policy at our church, but we have had to change a couple of scheduling things, particularly with the nursery kids, because every parent that drops off late, every baby in that room, their head whips around like, oh, awesome, mommy's here. And then the crying starts again. Right. So if that happens at. 1020 and 1030 and 1040 right like the babies it's really hard on the babies so we've had to change a couple things about how we do drop off so that every late person doesn't set off the whole chain of nursery so i'm guessing that's where it came from but i see how showing up to that sign was a disaster i'm thinking i'm thinking the bigger thing though is just thinking about being in touch with why people come to church why parents come to church why did you why did you make the bother of showing up 20 minutes late and understanding that the experience you need, I'm just tying this back to loneliness, like you might need that 40 minutes now instead of the hour you would have gotten, like you'll take 40 minutes, right? Like you're coming in and spiritually, relationally, sanity-wise, whatever, you need that 35, 20, whatever minute, whatever minutes you have left, that's part of your week, like that's part of your rhythm, right? I'm thinking just, uh, we have a question about what, kind of what is some of the, 
what are some of the good things about parenting in a church, right? Like being a part of a community. I, I think that the service has to be part of that, right? I mean, we have something anchored in a week where even if it's difficult to get there, I know I go nuts if I'm stuck at home. I'm not necessarily an extrovert, but I don't, I'm not a homebody either. And Kate, you're, you're somebody who likes to be out a lot too. I know you're, we get on in that way. Kate and I used to go shopping together all the time when we were at Notre Dame. Uh, Kate was notorious for buying like 30 things and taking 29 back. Uh, still do. Still do. I'm excellent. I'm an excellent returner. I actually told Kara about that and she's like, that's brilliant. And I was like, oh crap. Uh, so, but I think it, it misses the mark of why, what church is for, for the people who are coming. Right. Yeah. And loneliness really ties into that. It's like, what are you saying? It's like, mm-hmm. Hey, this isn't just about reverence and respect and, you know, keeping an orderly house of worship. Like people are like needing something, you know, like very yeah. visceral when they come here. And that worship sets the tone for your week, for your spirit yeah. socially, as well as, as in it. Yeah. We, there was a mom who I saw walking out of church this Sunday, just a couple days ago. Well, it's Monday, yesterday. <laughs> it's already been a long week yesterday. And I know she has a six week old baby and I know her husband travels for work and he wasn't with her. And I shook her hand and I said, it's so good to see you. I know all that went into this morning. It's so awesome that you were here. And she goes, Courtney, I have been stuck in my house with my kids for the past two days. I had to come here oh, yeah. right it was like yeah the church was was saving her in a, in a very real way on a, on a sunday morning it's like you can go to the mall and they have those areas where kids can like go into fake rocket ships and like slide down pieces of fake bacon we have a breakfast theme one in our area at the mall that's very <laughs> weird and get hand foot and mouth disease and get yeah, hand foot awesome. and mouth disease yes uh but even that like you're still on, right? Because suddenly it's like live and there's like 40 randos like running around. Like you're like, what is happening? Uh, I think the church is kind of a different kind of space when it comes to like having services for kids that you get to kind of participate in. But policies like you were talking about at your church, Kate, like I think it just really misses the mark of why why you come, right? Yeah, by about six miles. By about six miles. (laughs) You know yeah, I, I think, fair point, Dave, um, going back to your point about how it might, maybe a mom would have come up with that policy too. So fair point, it could have been that a parent might have come up with that. Um, but one other thing I think about what you're saying about like getting to go to worship is also about um, like our attitude in, I'm thinking about myself as a volunteer, someone who teaches Sunday school and teaches in um, nursery, I would say, and this is not like tooting my own whore, horn, whore. Ooh, <laughs> We're going to edit that later. I don't know what, that's don't know not, what kind that's of... Not church talk. It's, I, I have my resident whore over here I'm tooting for <laughs> emphasis. Um, anyways, making it harder for Dave to edit that out. By the way, by um, the way that's definitely staying in. <laughs> um, but I volunteer... On average, I will be honest, three out of four Sundays a month I because we're low on volunteers and I want the kids program to be strong because my kids are going to it. And so and I don't mind. I don't resent it. To be honest, I see volunteering in the nursery or teaching Sunday school as a chance to hang out with the kids and other moms. Uh, it's mostly moms that volunteer, some dads. Um, but that's like a social thing for me that I really enjoy. And I. I really look forward to it. Actually, it doesn't seem like a bummer to me, although I like service as well. Um, but the point of this has been, since I've been volunteering a lot, I've noticed like a difference. Again, Dave, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to pick on people who don't have kids because I think there are ones that are wonderful, but I've noticed we have a lot of college volunteers, which is so awesome. Can I just say the fact that those kids are willing to come in and volunteer? I'm super grateful. They tend to have an attitude of kids are misbehaving. Let's call their parents. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's calm down here. Let's just, you know, we've got some rules, but let's pull this kid aside and talk to them. We can give a couple warnings because my point is I'm trying to give these parents, these parents are in worship service. Unless things are like super bad, I'm not calling the parents because I want them to be in worship service. We have a couple kids in our um, Sunday school in particular that are not neurotypical mm-hmm. and that takes a little bit of work. I mean, that's a whole new dimension mm-hmm. to trying to keep people safe and, and, and different things. Um, but in any case, I found that often when you pull some of those kids that are having issues aside, you can usually talk through them with it. And again, Dave, maybe there are people, there's probably parents who would act 
who would be more quick to call other parents? Like, I'm not going to deal with this or, you know, I mean, volunteering is tricky. I just, I've been trying to talk to the folks that run our nursery and Sunday school program to say, can you tell me what our objective is? I feel like our objective is probably to show kids the love of Jesus and let their kids be in service. Like, those are my two goals here. I think for the most part, we can always accomplish those. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But I think sometimes it's just a little... um, I think it's important to give parents that space, uh, like you said, Dave, to be in service. And sometimes Sunday school doesn't run that great. Sometimes we don't have complete control over the room. It's hard when you get a rotating cast of kids for one hour a week. Oh, it's a a clown car. I mean, it's it's, it's ridiculous. You can put the best curriculum around it you want. But, you know, the, the lunatics are running the asylum a lot of times when you're back doing... I mean, and, but it's for a purpose, like you said, like it, you know, I think, you know, we probably over theologize the importance of spiritual formation for kids. And we, we offload that to those occasions and they're not really set up for that. Right. I think getting internalized and being demonstrated the love of Jesus and sort of learning about Jesus is really, really important. But, um, you know, we don't we don't need to be talking about, uh, and, you know, and Sunday predestination school. and things, things in the nursery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think your point that Sunday school is another tool in the basket is really important. And I think one of the things the church really has to offer parents is is more tools for the basket and even more than more tools, more more people for the basket, because at its best, church is so much more than Mm -hmm. programs or even worship, even sermons. It's it's this family of believers. And I will never forget our first Sunday here. We've been at this church for five years. So when we arrived, our son was 18 months old. Our very first Sunday, there was a note card in my church mailbox that said, uh, my husband and I are retired. We have a grandson, your son's age, but he lives all the way on the other side of the country. We would love to babysit for you. You're going to need babysitters. Give us a call. And I took this person's name to our senior pastor thinking, this is either the most amazing woman ever or a psychopath, right? I don't know which one. I'm new here. And I, I brought this name to the pastor and he was like, oh, she's amazing. She and her husband are amazing. And they turned into kind of West Coast surrogate grandparents for our son. And we are getting all these studies that come out of places like the Fuller Youth Institute that for our kids to grow up and still love Jesus, they need an average of five adults other than their parents, other than their youth pastor, who have poured love and Jesus into them. And we see that with our kids. Like, that is the best part of the church for us as young parents. Our kids have surrogate grandparents. Our kids, we have this high schooler who comes over to our house all the time just to hang with our kids. And and there are days she'll call me and say, I've had a terrible day at high school. Can I hold your baby? She's kind of like a therapy dog for me. And I'm like, sure, come over, hold my baby. But we wouldn't be connected to these folks without the church. So I think for parents, when people make those offers, say yes, like take them up on the offer. Dave wants to bring takeout, say yes. That grandma in the church says she wants to help, say yes. Because often I think we're like, no, it has to be all on me. Or I have a really specific way that I need the diapers to be changed or this or that. Like, Start saying yes. That's one of the things we as parents can do when someone offers that help, that assistance. And if it's not the right help, say, you know, I I don't need that, but you know what would help me? Like, can you sit in my house while my baby naps so I can go for a walk? Can you can you bring dinner over and just ring the doorbell and leave? (laughs) Like, what what do you need Um, to start saying yes? Because that family is there, and those different generations have a lot to offer if we start to if we start to um, accept the help. That's really important. I mean, is neighborhoods and schools are not getting it done for our kids, right? I mean, it's just not. Like, you think about how our neighborhoods are set up, especially as you move into middle class and upper middle class. Like, Kara, I talk about this with Kara, and she probably is tired of hearing it. But everything you kind of do as you become upwardly mobile uh, takes you even physically away from community. You get a bigger setback. Yeah. You build a rear deck you know like you, everything is sort of rear facing our neighbors just put a pool in and put a privacy fence up and we have a privacy fence up and you get an attached garage so that you don't even have to risk seeing anybody when you go in from your car and we don't know our neighbors my friend wrote a book yeah. called the art of neighboring and a lot of the statistics they cite are just kind of crazy i you know kate is very outgoing and i think she knew a lot more of her neighbors uh and does than the typical american but most people don't, and most schools, yeah. uh, teachers really can't pour into kids the way you're talking about, Courtney. 
I think at its best, church can really do that. And a lot of the outcomes we see, the positive outcomes we see tied to religious involvement, this is where that spiritual not, but not religious thing really does have trade-offs. You know, if if your spirituality is just about self-actualization and personal experience on behalf of the parents, you're really robbing your kids of the potential for community involvement. Can that go fantastically wrong? Yes. (laughs) But, you know, I would, Dave, that's a really excellent point um, about just the, I have a friend who we've used this phrase before. He's having a hard time finding a church because he's openly gay and that's tricky when you're a Christian. But he and I have talked many times about saying, I need to put myself in the path of the gospel and in the path of people. It's uncomfortable and it's hard, but I need to do it because I can't just be spiritual in my head. I need to be in community with other people. I have to work this out in community. And I feel the same way if the reason probably a huge draw for me to continue to go to churches because I want my kids to have those experiences. I want them to be around other kids and around other adults, to your point, both Courtney and Dave, that will pour into their lives. And I think about, that's why I stick at my church, not because I agree with everything they think, but I'm like, no, I want my kids to be hanging out with those kids and go to those kids' house and learn from their parents or have this gentlemen teach their Sunday school and they learn from Mr. Chris and then I want them to just have those experiences right see different role models see faith being worked out in different ways and I don't know Courtney and I grew up um, overlap for a chunk of time in the same church and I just think about how I'll get like you know choked up thinking about it I think about some of those wonderful people who just poured into my life as a kid people that I could talk to when I had a problem people that I idolized um, that I really respected and valued that I could go to um, and that's really important so Dave I point well taken about uh, re- religion versus spirit you know spirituality versus religion and I think if the church if parents can be a little flexible if churches can be a little flexible and if there's kind people um, in that church community I think the church I I don't want to leave this on like a negative note, like we're saying, oh, churches don't do this, that, and the other thing. I think there's some stumbling blocks to be aware of, but I think, and and maybe we could kind of end it this way, thinking about some of the best things that churches have to offer, right? Or the ways that they can fill in um, that loneliness gap that young families are experiencing. Yeah, it's, it's tremendously important. And I think there is a particular kind of loneliness that young parents experience, but it's part of a larger model. It's part of a larger epidemic. I'm sure you see some of this in your, in your practice, Dave, that everyone's, I keep calling you Dave. You like David? David. It doesn't matter, actually. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it's an epidemic nationally across the ages. It's getting worse. Like we are lonely. We are isolated. We isolate ourselves, but also even things like our neighborhoods contribute to it. So I think the best thing that the church has to offer is the church is going to go on, right? You can have a season where for two years you don't make it out your door because you're covered in spit up and you just you just can't face it. But two years later, you can show up and it will still be going on. You didn't have mm-hmm. to create it. You don't have to think it up. You can walk in the door and Jesus is being worshipped. And you can keep your kids with you in worship or you can take them to the nursery. Jesus is being worshipped. The church goes on. And there's just such beauty and security and knowing that across the world, across the cultures, God is being worshiped and you can be a part of that. Like the stream is flowing and you can step into it. And, and that is just such a hopeful thing. I think when you're in a season of loneliness where you feel like I can't, I can't do another thing. I can't build another thing. Um, those intergenerational relationships, the the programs we do have for kids and parents. I'm part of a MOPS group of mothers of preschoolers, um, and it's great. We drink coffee. We drop our kids at the child care. We finish our sentences. Um, but I also, I need a lot more than that. I need, I need male friends, and I need non-parent friends, and I need high schoolers to watch my baby and grandparents to rock my baby. So sometimes those life stage segregated programs are great and sometimes they're the last thing we need right i need to sit with someone who actually has listened to new music in the past year and can tell me about it yeah. because it is all veggie tales all the time and i'm dying i'm dying it, it it does the church has the opportunity to approximate a family and that's more and more important because we're more mobile now right more people yeah. live apart from their nuclear family than ever. And, you know, grandparents are, you know, out in the diaspora and 
maybe I just wanted to say diaspora there. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, it kind of, people become a spiritual family to you and, you know, it's language of scripture, brothers and sisters and all that stuff, but it becomes visceral and real, uh, in a lot of churches and, you know, there are some churches, I guess I would say are not always great about loving, having kids in the, the service, find a church yeah. for a couple of years that are okay with it. <laughs> They're okay with mess. And that's, there, there, yeah. there, there are churches that, that are so. That's huge. There are a lot of churches, a lot of churches um, that just get really frustrated if you have kids in the service or if the kids are making noise. And often those same churches are saying, oh, the church is dying and young people these days. And kids don't turn 18 and magically know how to worship in big church, right? Worship is caught as much as it's taught. And so our church has realized we've got 40 years of statistics from the Fuller Youth Institute and places like that that say we are Sunday schooling our kids out of church. This look I, I start seeing this look in parents' eyes, like wrap it up, I'm dying, and and so it's you know it's a it's a process from the pastoral end, it's a process from the parent end, um, but there are ways to keep pressing in um, as parents, as pastors, as people, um, and find God and find each other in the midst of what's a really busy and difficult and holy and sacred season of life. Man, that's that's really cool to hear. You know, and it just it just reminds me that uh, loneliness is not just a product of isolation and being socially cut off. It's a matter of feeling like you belong somewhere because you can yes. you can show up somewhere and still feel very lonely, even though you're around people. So that I love the, the way you talked about your church addressing that. And that's just a good reminder for all of us for the spaces we welcome people into. It's far better to give someone, you know, quality over quantity where you really make them feel like they belong. If you only have a small shot with someone, a parent in your life, let them vent, uh, let them feel normal and normalized and let their kids just kind of be. And yeah, I think that's, that's really cool. So that's, that's a good way to wrap this thing up. I think, um, we could say so much more and Courtney, I think, I think I do want you on every episode. Uh, I think I'm, I'm keeping the episode. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Uh, Kate, uh, <laughs> Kate will just hold her tongue here. Is, is she just better watch her back. Um, cause <laughs> she might get, re she might get replaced. Although we don't have a board, so I don't think we could, we could vote each other off. So it would probably be a, a, a three, three headed monster if you were on. So, but either way, thanks so much for coming on and I'm looking forward to reading your book. Could you remind us of the title again and where we can get it? Yes, the book is called Almost Holy Mama, Life-Giving Spiritual Practices for Weary Parents. Uh, it's good for young parents. It's good for older parents. It's good for anyone who's a little too busy to find time to meet with God. And you can find it anywhere. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, you can go get it in an actual physical bookstore, which is really fun. But if you're a young parent, you don't have time for that. So order it online. Order it online. And that, that uh, sounds like the book would really go a long way to help uh, alleviating the spiritual loneliness of uh, being a, a parent with young kids or, yeah, someone who's just really busy. So thanks for writing that and thanks for being with us today. And until next time, Courtney, uh, yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks for having me. If you have questions, you can email us at podcast at morethanthis.site. You can also leave comments on the show entry at facebook.com forward slash morethanthispod.